So I just want to give you an update on Haiti. Most of you know that um, uh, I really have a, a personal passion and feel invested in Haiti. As a church, we're invested in Haiti. I don't know how much we've given over the course of the last 20 years to Haiti, but I would say we're probably hundreds of thousands of dollars as a church that we've given. We currently give, um, just so that you know, we currently give um, $200 a month to Haiti. We, we send down $1,200 every six months. $100 a, a month goes to Pastor Leslie, who is um, best considered an, an, an apostle or an apostolic work. He goes out and has established churches. He oversees churches. Um, he has been upwards of 19 or 20 churches. I think right now he's probably um, down to about 9 or 10. I'm going to stand up here so I can see you and you can see me. Um, so he's probably down to 9 or 10 churches at this point in time. The other money goes to Pastor um, Roosevelt, who is, um, so Pastor Leslie is in um, Croix de Bacay, and I'll explain that in just a minute. Pastor um, Roosevelt is up in Las Cahabas. If you took a picture of Haiti and you propped it right here, the entire island of Espanol, the north half of that is the Dominican Republic, kind of the southwest corner of it is Haiti. Uh, as you get right down to the ocean, the, one of the points down here would be uh, Port-au-Prince. Port-au-Prince is their capital city. It's their Washington, D.C., if you will. You can see the small map there on the, on the bulletin. If you go directly north on that, that little map in the bulletin, up near the, the uh, R of the, of the Republic, Dominican Republic, if you get up near the R, that's where Las Cahabas is at. That's the, right at the border of the Dominican Republic and, and Haiti. What you don't understand, or what we don't understand here in our culture is the abject poverty, the absolute poverty. I, I took a, um, uh, my brother-in-law with me to Haiti one time and he said, I'm not surprised at the depth of the poverty. That I get. What I didn't understand is the breadth of it. It's not like you go to a portion of Haiti that's poor and then you have the rest of Haiti. It's like when the airplane lands, you're landing in poverty. Av- average salary, average wage, $200 a year. Average income, median income, $200 a year. Simple things like running water and electricity are the city of uh, Mibale, which is kind of in between Las Cahabas and Port-au-Prince. The city of Mibale, uh, when I was there last time, had just gotten running water back. The uh, main pump had gone out for the city of Mibale. I believe that was population of, I'm guessing, I'm guessing, um, almost a million people, not quite. But the, the, um, the water had gone out, the pump had gone out, and so the anticipated repairs were going to take seven months. No running water in a city of a million people for seven months. How long do you think Detroit Lakes would go without running water? And so I had been there during that, at the end of that seven month, and water did not come back, and I went back a year later, 
and they were just then getting the water turned on. It turned out to be 14 months that they were without running water. That's the type of poverty. And it turns out that most of that poverty is not that the, the governments of the world have not attempted to do something, but the corruption in their government is absolutely astounding. It, it would just shock you. So I have been trying to reach Pastor Leslie for quite some time. Um, he's our, our guy there. Um, born and raised in Haiti. His wife's grandfather was a witch doctor up in the mountains. Um, practiced the cult, the occult of voodoo. Voodoo is far more than just a religion there. It's actually a, a whole way of life. But um, There's a lot of ungodly, ungodly stuff that goes on. Port-au-Prince is a um, couple of million people. Um, destitute, destitute. Let me read you. I'm going to add some comments as we go along. Dear Pastor Rice, God's abundant blessing, I have to interpret as we go because of his broken English. God's abundant blessing of God to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, our soon coming King. Please receive my apologies for the taking of a long time to communicate with you. This indifference is not because I am no longer in need of you or not being grateful for you personally and for your church. Honestly, I consider you as well a potential supporter to my ministry, you as well as the church, a potential supporter of my ministry and to myself. I bless the Lord for placing someone like you in my way. Thank you so much for your support and your prayer to us in Haiti. I would like to explain to you the reason for my silence. Since February of this year, there has been political crisis in Haiti, and that up until today, still not being resolved. Two years ago in February, I wanted to go to Haiti. I had planned a trip, and it just simply would not come together. It just would not come together. I had the money, I had the, the arrangements, I had tickets, so one person backed out, another person backed out. Your elder team here will not allow me to go by myself. That's wisdom. I would. Um, so things happened and happened and I could not go and the day that the plane was to land there was a riot in Port-au-Prince. Your elders know better than I. And it's, it happened last year as well. I tried putting things together and it couldn't. And here we find out that since, since February, and you don't see this. You don't see this on the news. You don't see this on the news. You don't see anything about it. Even though it seems calm, it is but an apparent calm. There is always an unexpected unrest and shootings some neighborhoods of Port-au-Prince, the capital city, where all you need must be found there. For example, the south of Port-au-Prince where my mother lives, Leslie is, is in his, he's got to be just about 60, probably 59. He's 60, I'd say. 
Um, so his mother is going to be mid-70s. For, for an example, south of Port-au-Prince where my mother lives, for more than one year I cannot visit her. Every day there are people getting shot in the streets. Price of everything become unaffordable. There is no good news from Port-au-Prince, not even for one day. We're talking about a man who cannot go from the north side of town to the south side of town because he's afraid of getting shot. Literally. I would like you to continue to pray for the country of Haiti because since the last month there is a lot of trouble in our country. Because... I'm going to translate. Because the entire country does not want the president and they asked him to resign and he won't do it. We have three weeks without gas in our town of Croix de Bouquet. Three weeks. No gasoline. Port-au-Prince sits in the middle. Croix de Bouquet is right next door. It would be the suburb of Washington, D.C. No gas for three weeks. No gas for three weeks. We have one week without electricity. We can't even find gas to put in our generators for our orphanage. The schools cannot work normally. Some of them simply stay closed. The corruption has become so high in the government since one month there is a lack of fuel in all gas stations in our country. And it causes a rarity of the U.S. dollar to import fuel. In Croydon-Bacay, we have four hours of electricity a week. Not a day. Four hours a week. Yesterday, a thousand people in our country went out into the streets. All the major cities in Haiti claim for the president need to resign. In some cities, they destroy stores and schools and public offices. Diane, will you show those pictures? This is in Port-au-Prince. Go ahead. Go ahead. I believe this is in Croix de Bouquet. Go ahead. This is all near the capital city. In some cities, they destroy stores and schools and public office buildings. They even try to put fire to Port-au-Prince International Airport last week and several police stations. The people are hungry and become hopeless and they become very violent against the government and the Congress. The Congress continues to support our president for the money and for their own interests. I agree with the street demonstrations because our president is so corrupt and he cannot lead our country to a normal success. All plans that I have made for ministry for the year 2019 have been canceled due to this situation. No one can move from place to place. But in the northeast, from the airport to the central region of... So we would go from, from Port-au-Prince, we'd fly into Port-au-Prince, then we would go to, to 
Mibale, and that's where we would, that's where the missions house was at, is up in Mibale. And that's where we would work out if it was safe there. Um, it's no longer safe there. Um, where we used to go, it is a bit better, but with great cautions. All these create some frustration for me and discouragement. I see that I want and I can work for God, but our country does not give me the opportunity to do so. This affects all Haitian pastors and several missionaries that would like to come in and ministries that cannot work safely. Therefore, they are preferred to not come. Um, I've been told that I can't go, not just by our elders, but by Pastor Leslie. Despite all of this, I did not want to stay without doing anything. The following is my update. The church were in Las Cajabas where Pastor Roosevelt ministers and continues to grow his congregation and is fine and is well for his family. Pastor Roosevelt began a church, uh, took over a church plant several years ago, 30 or 40 people, and that church is now over 300 and busting at the seams. I shared with you uh, several, a couple of years ago what they did for children's ministry was they have a concrete floor and they're on a hill so they dug out underneath the church and that's what their children's ministry was and so when I went down, when I went there to preach I actually went downstairs and they wouldn't let me go in and I went in anyhow because I figured there were 60 little kids there I better be able to stand under there and as I did as the worship was going on overhead the ceiling was crumbling you have to understand it's rocks and concrete block and brick with Haitian mortar dumped over it. That's what was being held together. And you helped raise the money for us to completely remove that floor and rebuild that all. So that church now is safe for these little kids to be down there during worship. As a matter of fact, that church is continuing to grow to the extent Last July, we planted a new church south at a village where no people there is Christian. We meet in a home that we, they pay rent to meet in somebody's home. Okay, the poverty is, is such that um, when I've been there to, to do missions work, when we've gone as a team, every time I, we go, pastor asks me to lead a class for his, his pastors. So we would bring the pastors into the mission house in, in Mibale. But in order to do that, it's not like you go and get paid to speak. In order to do that, I had to pay to bring them in. I had to pay their fuel so that they could get there. I had to pay for their food so that they could get there. If they needed a place to stay, we had to find a place to stay in that. We paid for that. We, you, you paid for that. This is the only way to encourage them as a group is to bring them together, but they don't have the resources. Literally, folks said they would hop on a motorcycle and ride three hours on the back of a motorcycle, which is a taxi, but they would ride three hours to come to a church service to be encouraged. This is a tough place. And so they pay to use a house and on Sunday mornings we began with 10 people and now we're up to 12 people and now we're up to 14 people 
And as they continue to grow, we're going to add more services. You better be careful if you ask God to grow the church. Do you know why? It's because the church grows best under persecution. They start feeling persecution and the church grows. For the last four years, I think it is, we have paid the rent as a church. We've paid the rent for Pastor Roosevelt's home three years up in Las Cahabas. He was living in Port-au-Prince, driving on the back of a motorcycle four hours to get to church on Sunday mornings and pastor there. The renting of Pastor Roosevelt's house has ended since last month. I do not know how your congregation can help me with the rent. Unfortunately, okay, so I sent him a text. We took an offering several months ago and we still have money left over, so we're gonna pay rent for the year. The rent for the year for Pastor Roosevelt's house is $800 for the year. It's a house big enough for he and his wife and five kids. That. Okay. Sorry. Unfortunately, I have sad news to share with you at the end of this report. Pastor Leon is no more He died last August at his mother's house in the south where he was from. It was a lack of care. He became sick, and a week later he did die. Please pray for his widow and his five children that are left behind. I'm looking the situation of our... I'm looking the situation of our country before I plan any projects for next year. I believe very soon our country will return to normal if the government that is in will resign from power. Thank you so much for your support and your prayer that you always share with us. May the Lord continue to bless you and keep you safe. I look forward to hearing from you in the near future. Blessings to you. In his grace, Pastor Leslie. Pastor Leon was a uh, was just a very good friend. He was our uh, our interpreter. He um, had pastored for several years, and he felt God calling him. <laughs> he felt God called him to become an interpreter, so he learned English on his own on radio stations, figured out what one word meant, and then he figured out what the next word meant. And after a few years, he became our interpreter. Like, Pastor Leslie would interpret for me when I was preaching, and then he would shake his head and go, Leon, you come. He talked too fast, you come. And so Leon would come and would interpret. In the last several years, Leon um, uh, spent doing jail ministry. He would go into the prisons. He was our coach when we were on the job. Oh, slow down. You're in Haiti, man. You work too fast. You're in Haiti. You need to take a break. So we just got here. We're Americans. We want to work. No, no, no. You're in Haiti, man. You slow down. You need to take a break. Look around. Look around. You take a break now. So my heart was 
saddened. At the same time, he's no longer looking at just a plate of rice and beans once a week. He's now at a banqueting table, at a feast. Be absent from the body, scripture says, is to be in the presence of the Lord. No more struggling, no more suffering. He doesn't have to worry about $200 a day. He's walking on streets of gold. He would take his shoes when we went to town and he would drop them off and would walk barefoot while somebody would polish his shoes. You'd have to understand. His shoes were so worn that the, the sides of them were blown out. They were gone. But he would have his shoes polished while we were downtown. Not for himself. I believe it was to honor the Lord. He knew he was a representative of Christ. And that's how he carried himself. You probably didn't come to church today to hear an obituary. But that's what the kingdom is about. The kingdom of God is about building friendships. The kingdom of God is about people suffering for Christ in an area. Leslie does not have to be there. He's got family in the United States. He could be in the United States. He chooses not to. Last week, we talked about abiding in the vine, and we said if you abide in the vine, eventually you begin to take on the flavor. You and I, we abide in Christ. Eventually, we begin to take on his flavor of love and joy and peace. We sat, okay, we sat at a table. You didn't think you were coming from my little, my little reminiscent uh, Haiti party either, but we sat at a table. Pastor Leslie said, tell me about your experience. What do you see in Haiti? What do you see in Haiti? There were several of us sitting at the table and somebody mentioned the poverty and somebody mentioned the busy streets and somebody mentioned the traffic. That is the craziest thing I've ever experienced in my life. But what do you see in the people? What do you see? I said, I'll tell you what I see. I see more joy than any American Christian I've ever seen. Oh, that's right. We've got nothing to hold us back. We've got joy. That's right. We've got joy. And he's dancing around the table. I can tell you all got it too. (laughs) Are we abiding in the vine? Have we got that joy? We've got that joy, 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 joy down in our heart. Where? Down in my heart. Down in my heart. I've got that joy. I've got the peace that passes understanding down. I've got the wonderful love of my blessed Redeemer. Maybe you need to learn some kids' songs. Maybe you need to sing them to yourself. Shut off the country. Good night. You play the music backwards, you get your dog back and your house back and your car back and your beer back. Shut it off. Get some joy down in your heart. We have the peace of God and this. Right? And this. And cell phones. And Bibles. And food. I shared this communication with my brother-in-law who went 
with me to Haiti and we were as a third person there and Joe, she, he shared here uh, when we came back with Joe, said, you feel guilty. You feel guilty coming back. And my other brother-in-law said, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal. And Joe said, anything more than rice and beans is a big deal. Anything more than rice and beans. We literally gave out Walmart bags, three quarters full of rice and beans. And I asked Pastor Leon, I said, what did we do? And he said, those families you just fed for a month with a bag of rice and beans. Fed them for a month. And I said, well, how bad is it? He said, in this village where we're at right now, where we planted a church, these people live on a cup of coffee and a piece of toast every day. And some of them don't have toast. Jesus said, if you abide in me, you ask what you will, and I'm going to give it to you because you'll be asking according to my will. He said, I want you to produce fruit that remains. What is fruit that remains? He's not talking about apples. He's not talking about bananas. He's talking about fruit that remains. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, starting in verse 1 of chapter 13, Paul said, If I speak with the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but I do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to to hardship so that I may boast, but I have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast. We think that's all about a, a good wedding sermon. That's got nothing to do with a wedding sermon. First Corinthians 12 has to do with ministry. First Corinthians 14 has to do with ministry. First Corinthians 13 is the glue that holds it all together. It's love. You can do ministry on one side, ministry on the other side, but if you don't have all those spiritual gifts, they mean nothing if we don't have love, the kind of love that's willing to lay its life down. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in truth. It always protects. It always trusts. It always hopes. It always perseveres. Love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness in comes, when completeness comes, uh, what is in part will disappear. And then he says something astounding. This is astounding to me. And he says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought as a child, I reasoned as a child, but when I became a man, I put away, put childish things behind me. Paul is saying, what he's saying is, it's about love, it's about laying down our life. All those other things are fine, but if you don't have love, it's childish. Put it away. Give your life. We have people down there who are literally giving their life for the gospel, you say, well, pastor, you're talking about just poverty. They're just in poverty. You realize that the, the, the island of Hispaniola, uh, Haiti, was considered the pearl of the Antilles. Less than 200 years ago, it was a destination spot for the world. Kings, people who could afford to go anywhere and to travel, would travel to Haiti, would travel to the island of Hispaniola. 
It was a destination spot for the world. One or two governments, one or two changes, one or two political things go on, one or two uprises in a country, one or two bad decisions along the way, and there's a track that they begin on. And if nobody's willing to stop, he says it over and over again, the, the corruption is unbelievable. They're just taking money for themselves. It's all about money. It's all about money. It's all about money. The love of money. The love of money. They claim that underneath the island of Haiti, Underneath the island, uh, the, 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 underneath the Haiti, the, the, uh, the island of Hispaniola, half of it is Haiti. Underneath Haiti, there are more oil reserves than there are in Venezuela. But they will, they're not allowed to be tapped. I go into the reasons why, but we're not going to. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then we're going to see him face to face. Now we know in part, then we will know him fully, even as I am known. And these three remain faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Love is the fruit that remains. Love is the fruit that remains. Love. I was going to go right to chapter 16 from here, but listen to what John says in John, what Jesus says in John chapter 15, starting in verse 18. Jesus says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, grab a hold of those three words. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. It's an interesting phrase, as it is. So who is he talking to? If you remember from two weeks ago, Jesus, uh, Judas has left the scene. Jesus is now talking to the 11 disciples that remain, the ones that are faithful to him, the ones that are gonna follow. They're actually gonna cast lots for another disciple here very soon. But right now, this is the 11 disciples and Jesus says to them as it is since you have chosen to follow me as it is as it is if you've chosen to follow me as it is because of the way it is because of who you said you are because you're a follower of me as it is You do not belong to the world. I should be able to say, as Jesus said, you come to church, you've accepted Christ. As it is, because you've said that, I should be able to say, you do not belong to the world, and the world hates you. What do you mean the world hates me, Pastor? I mean the world system Hates us. Well, what 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 does that mean? It it hates us. As it is, if you are a follower of Christ, if you are become a disciple, if you are becoming a disciple, you will have a set of values and beliefs that this world system absolutely hates and despises. I don't know what that means. It means we don't glorify the almighty dollar. That's what it means. We glorify the almighty God. It means we stand for virtues and values that are time-tested in Christian faith. That's what it means. You say, well, I'm, I'm I'm not sure. I'll tell you what we did as a church. 
Well, then last year, we amended our bylaws and we said, you know what? We're not going to perform gay marriages here because we believe Christian marriage is a long-standing tradition of one man and one woman forever. That's what it is. So we're not doing that. And guess what? People don't like that. You know there are places in Canada right now, if you stand up for the truth about homosexuality and you believe that God is saying, you know what, that's not, a, that's not his plan at all, you can get put in jail for hate crime. That's the difference between the world system and God's system. So if you have to come and visit me sometime, understand we're going to stand for what God has said is right. And the world might not like that. As we go down the road and our culture continues to celebrate things that God will not celebrate, there are all kinds of ramifications for the church. Jesus said, as it is, I have chosen you out of the world. Well, what does that mean? That means don't live like the world lives. What does that mean? Well, why don't you just try things on for size? You're dating a guy. You might as well just live with him for a while and see what that... You know what? That's going to lead to disaster. It's going to lead to... Don't do that. That's not God's heart. You want to try and get the most out of your paycheck so you lie about whatever. Don't, don't cheat. Don't cheat your boss. Well, everybody does it. No, then everybody's wrong. Don't do it because everybody does it. If you ever have to finish a phrase with, well, everybody does it, it's probably wrong. If you tell me breathing is okay because everybody does it, I'm good with that. But beyond that, we need to look at what what Jesus said to his disciples. He goes on and he says, remember what I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they'll persecute you also. Now here's what I want to say about this. I believe that there's a part of this that he is specifically speaking to those 12 apostles. I, those 11 apostles that remain. I believe there's part of that that's true. They're going to establish, you went from 12 men uh, to 11 men to a whole movement because of what they did. And I believe there's part of this is specific to them, to the apostolic ministry that was there. But as he goes on, he's speaking to us. If they obeyed, he said, they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. If they obeyed my teaching, they'll obey yours. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. It seems so reasonable to me. And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But it sure seems reasonable to me. If God create, let's just do this different. If Barry, stand up, Barry. If Barry is sitting at his kitchen table one day and he decides that he's going to, he just had this inspiration and he's going to create a board game. Let's just say. He's going to create a board game and he invites me over to play the board game. Who, who establishes the rules? Oh, but I don't like that one. Take your board and go, we're at your house, remember? <laughs> he, he, he made the game. He made the rules, right? Does that sound, just one second, does that sound legitimate? Does that sound reasonable? But I don't like the rules. 
You know what Paul said? Grow up. When you were a child, you did like a child. I don't want to make that move because then you're going to win. I don't want you to win. I want to win. So I'm going to move five of them. And you say, you can't do Why can't I do that? That's what I want to do. I said. Well, who are you? I'm the inventor of the game. Thank you. <laughs> God, God created this thing that we call life. Do we believe that? Ah, uh, come on. Do you believe that? Yeah. I just came up with that analogy all on my own. Do we believe that God created this thing? Yeah. So who sets the rules? My four-year-old grandson doesn't like when somebody says, I don't like that. Well, I don't care. Clean up. No, I don't like that. Yeah, I, I don't care. The rules at grandpa's house are, you're going to clean up. Well, I don't like that. I don't care. Am I an uncaring grandpa? No, I got some rules. Clean up. Let's get her done. That seems reasonable in our households, does it not? Why does that not seem reasonable with God? I don't want to do what God wants me to do. Okay. Consequences are also yours. You come to a T in the road, you can choose which direction you want to go. You just can't choose the consequences once you go down there. You make a choice, there are consequences. I'll repent. You repent all you want. There's still consequences. You can't repent your way out of consequences. I took a good friend to prison. I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry I did this. I'm really, really sorry I did this. Yeah, you're sorry. Guess what? You got eight years. The judge doesn't have any mercy. He doesn't need any mercy. What you did was wrong. You can repent all day long. It doesn't change the other person's life. Jesus goes on and he says, if I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now, if they didn't know the rules to the game, they'd play the game any way they want to. But now that I have spoken to them and they choose to do it on their own, they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates me hates the Father as well. Whoa. Uh, back up. Wait a minute. If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my Father. Listen to this. But this is to fill what was rewritten in their law. They hated me without reason. All I did was I went in and healed them. All I did was I went in and delivered them. All I did was I went in and set them free. All I did was bless them. All I did was, and they hate me for no reason. I have a friend whose son was uh, probably 15 years ago. He was a high school, uh, a senior in high school, and he decided to go to the prom with his girlfriend. He's a Christian young man. Decided to go to the prom with a girlfriend, and then all of his buddies, everybody else, the whole class, everybody was going to this um, campground party. Yeah, somebody said it. Camp, it was a campground. 
And so a, a hotel lodge, and they were going to spend the night there. And his mom looked at him and said, all right, listen, I don't want you to go. You know my opinion? Dad's like, yep, we don't want you to go. You know our opinion, but it's up to you. Mom's like, here's the deal. When you get there, you stay there. Too many drunk kids out driving around. You get there, you stay there. Do not go from there. So this young man didn't drink. His girlfriend didn't drink. And as the evening went on, the alcohol ensued. And then smoking pot ensued. And then other things ensued. And people were getting up on tables and doing stuff they shouldn't be doing. And finally he looked at his girlfriend. He's like, I've had enough. I can't take it. Let's go. And she's like, well, you know. He's like, I don't care what mom's. Let's go. Let's go. So he started gathering up as much booze as he could and throwing it in the trunk. As he was leaving, actually, as he was leaving, just made decisions to go, his buddies started literally pushing him around. What's the matter? What's the matter? You're a wuss. You can't take it. What's the matter? What's the matter? You punk got hit because he was going to go for no reason. Got hit because he was going to go. Then he got spit on because he was going to go. And he decided he's taking as much booze with him as he could, so he kept going back in and getting all the booze out that he could. Filled his trunk with booze. He and his girlfriend left, crying, shook up about what had happened. Not crying so much for himself, but look what's going on. They, look what's going on. Four miles down the road, he gets pulled over by a highway patrol. Where are you going? Going back to Hibbing. Want to check your car. Gets out, opens up the trunk, loaded with booze. He's like, well, cop's like, what is going on? Let him make test, took a breathalyzer. He hadn't been drinking. They're like, listen, what, you, get, you get home and you get home now. You get home and you get home now. Wherever you're going, get there. Don't speed, get there. Totally separate from that whole deal because uh, it was about the same time that party got busted. That party got busted and about 15 kids ended up in jail. In his case, one by one, over the course of the next week, those individuals came and apologized to him. But he got spit on, he got punched, he got pushed around for doing the right thing. Jesus said, if you follow me, if my example, you follow my example, and you, you, as it is, as it is, if you're a believer, the world doesn't have any hold on you. As it is, they're likely going to hate you if you stand up for what's right. You want to know how that really played out in the lives of those 12, those 11 apostles? Actually 12 by this time. We don't have all the exacts on it because we don't have all the history of it. But Peter was hated so much that he was crucified. Like Jesus, only he couldn't find himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, so he was crucified upside down. Andrew was crucified in Greece in an X shape. And his head was down. And the claim in history is that he preached the gospel until the moment he died. Matthew was a missionary to Ethiopia. There he was impaled by stakes from four guards. And then he was beheaded. Nathaniel, nobody really knows about how he died, but it's presumed that he was martyred in Armenia. Thomas... Um, 
his execution was believed to have taken place in India where he was stabbed from a spear and he died. The apostle Philip, according to most historians, uh, was impaled in one of the most cruel ways. He had four iron hooks put through his ankle and hung upside down. James, Jesus' half-brother, who was not one of the original 12, but he was actually pushed off of a 100-foot wall. And when he landed, miraculously, he didn't die, and yet he was beat to death with clubs. When, you see, if you follow Jesus, the world's going to hate you. You say to me, well, pastor, does that mean that, that if I follow Jesus that somebody's going to stab me outside of this church building? I'm not saying that. But if we stand up for Christ, you don't know what may happen. They laughed at me. They hung Peter upside down. Just keep that in balance. They, they mocked me. Just keep it in balance. Go back and look at the original 12 and see what happened to them. The only one of the disciples that actually died of natural causes was John, the one who wrote this book. He was the only one who didn't die a horrific death. Boy, I sure bet you're glad you came to church today. I can just see the joy on your faces. I'm telling you, okay, before we go, one more verse. One more verse. John chapter 16. Starting in verse 1. Jesus said, I have told you this so that you will not fall away. It's like Jesus is pulling up a chair and he's saying, I, uh, I just want you to know. I just want you to know. There's going to be some tough times coming. There's going to be some tough times. If you follow me, all those old buddies, they might not like you. If he was telling us today, he'd say, well, they they might laugh at you. They They might unfriend you. Oh, happy day, happy day. Jesus washed my sin away. They might unfriend me. I just want you to know. I just want you to know. I want you to know. As it is, if you choose to follow Christ, things might get kind of tough. You might have to look for a new batch of friends. You might find yourself at some point going out and talking to those individuals that one time said they hated you. Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? Are you so, are you so holy now? Are you so holy now? Oh, you got religion. I suppose you think you are somebody now. You got religion. No. But it might hurt. Jesus said, I just I want you to know. I'm just telling you. You choose to follow me. I'm just telling you. It, it could get ugly. Back to Haiti for just a minute. We just set up a jug out there. I don't like taking special offerings. I believe if the church tithes, if the church gives, if we give the way God has said you're supposed to give, there's money, there's resources. No, we don't. But if you want to give extra, there's a jug set up out there. If you would, just for the next, I don't know, 
15 or 16 years. Take all your change, put it in a jug. We're just going to do what we can to continue to bless the people of Haiti, continue to pour back and give how we can give. Our families there. Some people, somebody has told me, well, you know, Pastor, I'm sure there are uh, support organizations that we can go through and that they'll get food to people in Haiti. And there are, there are. We just did Feed My Starving Children. They'll get food to people in Haiti. They just won't get it to the people that I know. The people that are close to us, the people that we've supported. This is a way for us to support the people that we know. I'm not going to put a lot of heat on you. I hope you don't feel that that's what I've done. This morning, I feel it's important for you as being part of this congregation to know where your resources go. And as we support Haiti, you need to know what's going on in those countries. Let's close in prayer this morning. God, I just thank you so much. I thank you for Pastor Leslie and for Pastor Roosevelt, for those congregations. God, they're facing stuff that we just have no idea. Unless you've seen it, and even when you've seen it, you just can't imagine what it's like to be there. For Pastor Leon's family, God, I just pray that you would supernaturally provide for them. You used birds to supply food for prophets in the wilderness. You used manna to feed the children of Israel. I don't know how you're going to feed his family, his wife and his kids, but God, I pray that you would do that. Help us to be a part. Give us wisdom, God. Give us wisdom. How, how do we help? How do we really help? Thank you for this body of people, God, as we go from this place. You have said in your word, you just want us to know. We choose to follow you. There are consequences. We choose to follow you. This world system is not going to be in love with us. And that's okay. You wanted us to know. We thank you for that. I pray you'd bless each person here today. Give us wisdom as we go about our day. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.